Chapter 11 of Bob the Castaway or The Wreck of the Eagle by Frank V. Webster. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Nigel Boydell. Chapter 11 The Eagle Sails. Bob had often been on railroad journeys so there was nothing especially interesting about the first part of this trip, but his mind was taken up with what was to follow that even the familiar scenes as the train sped on out of the village seemed full of delight to him. "'Well, I suppose you've been pretty steady since I've been gone, haven't you, Bob?' asked the captain, following a rather long pause. "'Well, pretty good, I guess. I only played one joke.' "'What was it?' Bob related the circumstances of the stepladder, the cook, and the hired man. Hum, remarked the commander of the Eagle reflectively. So they came down in a heap, eh? And the water splashed all over em. Yes, replied Bob, trying not to chuckle at the recollection. Hum, remarked the captain again, and he seemed to be having some difficulty with his breathing. Bob wondered if his friend was choking. He was so very red in the face but he did not know that the mariner was trying hard not to laugh. The thought of the sight of the pair tangled up in the step-ladder was too much for him, though he did not want to encourage Bob in his reckless ways by showing enough interest to laugh. "'By the way,' went on the captain suddenly, becoming rather solemn, "'I suppose you've learned the principal parts of the ship by now?' "'By names, yes, sir, but I'm afraid I've got lots yet to learn.' "'I should say you had.' You know about as much how to sail a ship as I would how to run a steam engine from seeing a tea kettle boil. Captain Spark believed in making boys know their place, and he made up his mind he had a hard subject in Bob. Still, he was determined to reform him if it was possible. When do you expect to get into the Southern Pacific? asked Bob as he thought of the secret map Captain Orbit had given him. It all depends on what weather we have. Why? "'Here's something a friend of mine gave me,' said Bob, pulling out the wrinkled piece of parchment. "'He says there is treasure buried on an island in the southern Pacific.' "'Treasure? Let's see.' Captain Spark looked critically at the rather faint traces of lines on the yellow sheet. "'I'm afraid somebody has been playing a joke on you, or on Captain Obed,' he remarked, handing the parchment back, after Bob had told him how he became possessed of it. "'A joke?' "'Yes.' That's a map, sure enough, but no sailor could ever find the island by those directions. Why not? I said he never could. Perhaps I should have said he might by accident. Why, look, Bob, whoever made this map only marked the location of the island by degrees. That is the degree of longitude, and that is the latitude. Every circle is divided into 360 degrees, and as the earth is round, it follows that a circle drawn around it would be the same. Each degree, therefore, means a distance at the equator of about seventy miles. So unless whoever drew this map is positive that the island is exactly at the intersection of the degrees of latitude and longitude which you have given me, it might be seventy miles one way or the other off from the location given here. And seventy miles is a good distance on the water. Besides, the map only states that the location is about right. I guess we'll never find that treasure, Bob. I don't believe it's there. Would you think it worth trying for? I don't believe it would. 
I might have to sail around for a week merely to locate the island, and the chances would be I'd miss it. Then if I did find it, it would be very unlikely that anything would be buried there. I don't take any stock in those Captain Kidd yarns. There's too many of them being spun by retired sailors. If Captain Kidd had any money, he took good care of it, you can wager. Besides, I haven't any time to fool around looking for an island. I have to get my cargo to port on time. Bob was a little disappointed that he could not take part in a search for Captain Obed's treasure, but he reflected that what Captain Sparks said was probably right. Besides, no one ever believed the stories Captain Obed told. The aged man's mind was not to be depended on. During the remainder of the journey by rail, Captain Spark gave Bob some good advice as to how to conduct himself while aboard the ship. He imparted some useful information concerning navigation, and promised to show Bob more about it after they had sailed. "'I'm anxious to get out on deep water,' said the mariner. "'I don't like this city life. There are too many risks in it.' In due time they arrived at the seaport town, and, having seen that Bob's baggage would be transported to the dock, Captain Spark led the way to where the eagle was waiting the hoisting of her white sails to catch the ocean breezes. The ship was a large one, square-rigged and had three masts, it being of good tonnage. As the voyage was a long one, care had been taken in loading the cargo, and this had caused a little delay. Not all the freight was aboard yet. "'Well, Mr. Carr, how are things moving?' asked the captain of a tall, thin man who stood near the gangway, as he and Bob went up the plank. "'Very well, sir. I think we shall be loaded by tomorrow. "'I hope so. This line at dock doesn't suit me. "'By the way, let me introduce a friend of mine. "'This is Bob Henderson. His mother is a relative of mine, "'and Bob is taking a voyage for his health. "'Bob, this is my first mate, Mr. Carr.' "'He looks healthy enough.' remarked the first mate as he cordially shook hands with Bob. "'Things are not always what they look like,' replied the captain with a smile. "'Bob found matters rather too lively for him ashore, and his folks think it will quieten him down to go with me.' "'I see,' replied Mr. Carr in answer to his commander's sly wink. He now understood something of the situation. "'I'll leave you here a while,' went on the commander to the boy. You can look about a bit while I go below and work on my manifest. Mr. Carr will tell you anything you want to know. But Bob was so interested in watching the sailors at work stowing away the cargo, while others were cleaning various parts of the ship, that he did not ask many questions. All the rest of that day the loading went on. Bob and the captain went ashore for their meals, as the commander had some business to attend to in the port, but Bob spent that night in his bunk. It was the first time he had ever slept in a ship's berth, and he rather liked the novelty. Next day the loading was rapidly proceeded with, and by noon all the cargo was stowed away. Captain Spark was below in his cabin, making out the final papers and waiting for his clearance documents from the harbour master. Mr. Carr and his assistants were busy getting the Eagle ready to sail, while Bob stood near the rail, watching with curious eyes everything that was going on. While he stood there he saw a short, stout, pale-faced man coming up the gangplank. The man carried a valise in each hand, while behind him walked a longshoreman with a trunk on his shoulders. 
Now, my man, be very careful of that trunk, urged the short, stout, pale man. Don't drop it for the world. I'm not going to, sir, and the longshoreman attempted to touch his hat as a mark of respect. Don't do that, exclaimed the nervous man. You might drop it, and something would break. All right, sir, very well, sir, and once more the longshoreman made as if to touch his hat. It was a habit of his to do this whenever he spoke to those who employed him. "'There you go again!' cried the man in rather whining tones. "'Don't do it, I say, there. Keep your hands on the trunk!' Seeing that this last order was obeyed, the nervous man advanced up the gangplank. He came on deck, set his two valises very carefully down, watching the longshoreman place the trunk on end, as if it contained eggs, and he asked of Bob, "'Is this the eagle?' "'Yes, sir.' "'Are you sure now? I don't want any mistakes made. I don't see the name on it anywhere.' "'It is on the bows and under the stern.' Bob rather prided himself on his nautical knowledge. "'Hum! Well, perhaps it might be. You are positive it's the eagle?' "'Yes, sir, positive. A distant relative of my mother is the captain.' "'Is it Captain Spark?' "'Yes, sir. Are you sure I don't want to be on the wrong ship?' "'Yes, sir, I am very sure.' I came on board with him. Are you going to sail on the ship? asked Bob politely. I expect to, if this is the right vessel. I wish I was sure. Perhaps you might be mistaken. And he glanced nervously around. No, I'm positive. There is Captain Spark now, he added as the commander came up the companionway. Oh, yes, I shall speak to him. The nervous man started off. Just then, Captain Spark, having received his clearance papers by messenger, gave orders to cast off. The eagle was about to sail. "'All ashore that's going ashore!' called the first mate. The longshoreman started down the gangplank which was about to be hauled in. "'Wait, I must pay you!' called the nervous passenger, turning back towards the man who had brought his trunk aboard. The longshoreman waited. "'Gas off that stern line!' shouted the captain. "'Oh, dear!' "'I wish I was sure this was the eagle,' spoke the nervous passenger. "'It is,' Bob assured him, smiling at the man's manner. First he would advance a little way towards the captain, intending to ask him the momentous question, then he would turn towards the longshoreman, who was waiting for his money. "'Lively with that gangplank now,' ordered the commander. "'Oh, if I have made a mistake and gotten on the wrong ship, it will be terrible,' murmured the man. "'Why don't you throw off that stern line?' again shouted the captain. "'What shall I do?' exclaimed the nervous man. "'If you're going to pay me, Your Honour, you'll have to hustle,' advised the longshoreman. "'I will, my man. Never mind touching your heart. Oh, you're not carrying my trunk now, I forgot. Here's a dollar. Never mind the change.' "'All ashore that's going ashore!' yelled Mr. Carr again. Up came the gangplank. The longshoreman leapt over the side of the ship and landed on the dock. There was a puffing from the tug that had been engaged to pull the eagle out into the channel. "'Are you sure this is the right ship?' appealed the man to Bob once more. "'Positively, yes, sir. Anyway, it's too late now.' "'Too late? How? What do you mean?' "'I mean that we are under way now.' The nervous passenger ran to the side and looked over. "'True enough.' The eagle was some distance from the wharf. The tug was straining on the big hawser. The ship had begun her long voyage around Cape Horn. End of chapter 
11.